Hey, this is Randy Robinson, and I'm the pastor of Everyday Church. Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope this podcast encourages you, stretches your faith, and helps lead you into a growing relationship with Jesus. Let's do it. God, we just ask you to move in this service. We thank you that you are already here tangibly. We sense that you're in the room. We just ask that you would be with us the rest of the service. That you would speak. That it would be your words coming forth. That we would hear your voice and speak your words. In Jesus' name. Amen. So the past couple weeks we've been talking about allowing God to have complete and full access to our lives. And that's uh, certainly the oversimplified version. Uh, Last week, we talked specifically on the subject of making room. And we introduced that song that we just sang. And um, man, I'm just just excited about what God wants to do in our midst. When we can pause just a moment and make room for him to do what he wants to do. I know we've had a lot of pause already in our service, but can we just pause one more time? Let me just close your eyes. God, we make room for you. Help us to get out of our out of your way. to invite you into every aspect of everything that we do and say. Move among us today, Lord. Break down the walls of our tradition and our religion so that you can do something new. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Uh, Last week we talked about the Shunammite woman from the Old Testament book of 2 Kings chapter 4. And we talked about how she would cook a meal for the prophet of God every time that he came to town. And then one day she and her husband decided to build an addition to their home. And they literally built a room for the man of God to come and stay. What were they doing? They were making room for the presence of the Lord in their lives. And we also referenced the story of Zacchaeus in the book of Luke chapter 19. And if you're not familiar with the story, Zacchaeus was small in stature, aka he was uh, short. And he heard that Jesus was coming to town. And so he ran and he climbed up a tree to make sure that he could see this Jesus that he had undoubtedly heard so much about but had yet to meet. He was committed to seeing Jesus. And he was willing to do whatever it took. And then Jesus blew everyone's mind because Zacchaeus was considered a sinner. No one really liked him. He was a tax collector. And Jesus says, come down. I'm going to have dinner with you at your house. Remember, we talked about a Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. When Jesus said, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. And that's what happened with Zacchaeus. This encounter changed everything for Zacchaeus. The Bible says that salvation came to the house that day. 
So what happened? Again, he made room. Zacchaeus was full of wealth and stuff, but he was missing Jesus. And the truth of the matter is, is he simply didn't have enough room for Jesus in his life, and so he made room. He gave away half of his wealth, and he paid back four times everything that he had stolen. And if we're honest with ourselves, a lot of us are like Zacchaeus. We don't really have room either. The demands and the busyness of our lives has taken up all of the available space. And we often pray and we invite Jesus to come into our lives, but really there's nowhere, there's no room for him to go. There's nowhere for him to stay. While Zacchaeus cleared out half of his stuff, and the Shunammite woman literally renovated her house to make room for the presence of God, we don't even have a pull-out couch or a blow-up mattress for him. Looking again at the prophet Isaiah from last week, we said Isaiah chapter 5, verse 8. The prophet says, Woe to you who add house to house and join field to field till no space is left and you live alone in the land. Woe to us when we have no space for the presence of God. Jesus desperately wants a relationship with us. But he doesn't want just partial access to our lives. He's looking for a relationship of intimacy. Remember, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how Jesus will one day say to some who seemingly did amazing things for the Lord, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. The word knew there is referring to an intimate relationship. And last week, we talked about going beyond down into the surface level, going beyond the surface level and going deep. Most people that I know have deep, deep spiritual and emotional wounds. And sometimes we don't even realize, we don't even realize what those wounds are. And last week we said that not knowing something is there doesn't, doesn't change the fact that it still affects you. Amen. Heart disease and cancer and all kinds of things can be going on in our bodies underneath the surface, affecting us externally, but we don't even know what's happening on the inside. And the same thing happens to us spiritually. There could be things that we don't even know is there. Listen, we can have things from our past, from our parents, from our grandparents that are still affecting us today. Unless the Holy Spirit leads otherwise, I have a series planned in 2022 that's going to deal with that particular topic in more detail. But for now, I'm trying to make us aware that there's more at work than what we see on the surface. And God wants to bring healing to those places. But he cannot heal what we refuse to reveal. Let me say it another way. If we're unwilling to grant him access to every area of our lives, we will never receive complete healing. We said last week that the reason we can't move beyond surface level change is that we're living a life of surface level Christianity. I know I'm, lot, I'm doing a lot of review, but I'm going to transition this in a second. Just hang on a little bit longer. Uh, remember, we're talking about making room and going below the surface level. Um, how many of you are familiar with the show Hoarders? Anybody watch the show? Um, if you're not, I'm going to show you a quick video. It won't take you long to catch on. It's, it's, not, uh, it's not difficult. But I'm going to show you a brief clip. It's about five minutes long, so hang tight. If you want to take a nap, now's the time to do it. And, uh, and let's roll this, and we'll come back and talk about it. It's a beautiful house, and right now it's in chaos. It's easy to happen. 
if you're interested in a lot of stuff and you collect it. You know, eventually things can get out of hand and it's all my fault. My name is Dave. Carol is my wife. I think Carol is a hoarder, absolutely. Carol brings things in, but very little of it leaves. At this point, the house is full, and I mean full. <laughs> Sad is the condition of my house. I've always been interested in a lot of things. I've collected a lot of things. And I especially like that elusive thing that maybe I'm shopping for, you know, something special. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Oh, the sound is beautiful. Thank you. We need a lot of energy for today. I'm Dorothy Brenninger. I'm a professional organizing expert, and I specialize in hoarding. We've got one big mansion, <laughs> many rooms, and lots of stuff. So I've been in the house, and this is a massive hoard. This is huge. Carol, any last words? No, let's get on with the show. OK. With that, I'm going to take Carol's advice. Family members, I want you to start heading toward the front. Bio one, you need to suit up because you're going to be in the heavy of it. Let's go. <laughs> I actually can't believe how much I miscalculated. This is so massive. And believe me, we do not have all the rooms out yet. We've got 24 tarps full, and there's more coming out. We have filled 27 tons worth of trash, and we have one dumpster left. This is coming out from a single house. 27 tons. It's beyond beyond. I'm pretty excited because the teams are working feverishly up on the second and third floors. The cleaning company is going like crazy and we're making progress. Unfortunately, my Bio One team has to leave. But the good news is, I have friends and family who are coming in to help us stage the house and get this ready for this family. I really never thought we'd make it to this point, but the house is really looking beautiful. Come on in, let's take a look around. You walk in the front door, and the family is smiling and wide-eyed. Wow. Oh. What do you think? Oh, oh. Something else, huh? Amazing. Wonderful. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. It was delightful. This house is amazing. Wow. It was such an exciting feeling walking into the house. My eyes went right to the staircase. I wanted to see it clear and I could see the beautiful stained glass window at the top of the landing. 
it's wonderful to know that there's a place for my dad and Carol to go and they'll be comfortable. It's just relief. It's kind of like finally, you know, you can breathe. Maybe this seems like a, an extreme example, but I want to point out a few things in regards to our spirituality. From street level or surface level, to use the word that we've been using, the house really looked kind of normal. Uh, to neighbors, friends, and those just passing by, everything looked fine, not realizing that the house was really in critical, critical need. And the questions I have for us is how many of us are like this house? We look fine on the outside, our friends and neighbors and strangers, but inside we're a complete wreck. Some of us have gotten so good at hiding our true emotions that even those closest to us don't realize how bad it is inside. And that could be a husband, a wife, where you're just going through the motions and you're broken inside and the people closest to you don't even realize because we just have learned how to put on that mask. Secondly, how many of our lives are completely full of chaos? In this house, there was no room to walk, no room to sit, no room to eat. I've seen some episodes where there wasn't even a functioning toilet. The families are forced to use five-gallon buckets which may or may not get dumped outside. The third thing I wanted to notice just quickly from the clip is that there are degrees or levels of cleaning, different degrees that are necessary. All right, so there's friends and family that came to help, and there are different companies that will come and help you take and haul, haul away your junk and your trash. But did you notice that there's a biohazard team? And the biohazard team is there to clean up the difficult stuff. The stuff that's beyond the normal cleanup. I don't watch this show a lot, but I've seen some episodes where they literally find dozens of dead animals in the horde. I saw one clip where there was a cleaning team that refused to continue because the amount of animal feces that was in the room. And the smell and the chemicals in the air was literally burning their lungs. So what did they do? They had to call a biohazard team because it wasn't safe to be in there. What, why am I telling you this? Because some of you in the room need a spiritual biohazard team. You, you've been to the altar. You've been prayed for. You've cried out to the Lord. Pastors and people and friends have prayed for you, but you can't seem to find complete healing. And can I tell you that there is no shame in seeking professional counseling? I'm not talking about going to see Dr. Phil, although that might be helpful on some level. I'm talking about seeking godly, spirit-filled counselors who can pray, cast out demons if necessary, and coach you through how to get your house cleaned out. But seeking this kind of help, it carries a stigma that we can't seem to shake. Many of us are so reluctant to admit that our struggles might need more than a trip to the altar. We're concerned that others might think we're too weak or too sensitive or undisciplined. We're conditioned to believe that if we have our lives together, that we will never struggle internally. Especially if we're Christ followers who live by faith and trust God and obey God's word, we won't have any struggle. And that's simply not true. I'm in no way minimizing the power of the Holy Spirit to bring life change. I wholeheartedly believe that God still heals and he delivers and he sets free instantaneously. But sometimes his work and his healing takes longer and it has to go deeper than a two or three minute conversation at an altar. I saw this complete episode uh, that the clip was taken from and it was brutal. And we just saw the beginning and the end. But it was, it was brutal. 
And Carol, the hoarder, was consumed with anger and bitterness and hurt. And she lashed out at people and she cursed them and she verbally abused them. At some points I was thinking, this lady is just so mean. And then at other points I realized that she too was a victim of hurt. And if you've been around, you know it well. Hurt people hurt people. I want us to be a church that's full of people who have been healed in the deepest places of their hearts. And I know not everybody's life looks like an episode of hoarders internally or externally. But I also know that we all have areas that are probably not fully surrendered. And at best, we all have areas that could use improvement. Here's the why behind the what. God moved last week miraculously in, in our service. There was a, just a powerful altar time, which we haven't done a lot of since COVID. And people's lives were changed. People were visibly touched in that prayer time. You know, and I said last week that my prayer as we, as we continue to move forward is that God would wreck us from the ground up, that there would be a complete destruction and reconstruction of our lives in the way that we think, in the way that we act, in the way that we live. And I truly believe that God is going to answer that prayer. It's been spoken and prophesied over our church that we would be a place of healing. And I believe that we're already walking in that healing anointing. So many of you sitting here today or even people that are watching online or listening to the podcast, you've already felt significant healing in your lives. But we're only scratching the surface of what God is going to do. If you're sitting here today. And you feel like you're in a good place emotionally and spiritually good because God wants to use you to bring healing to others. And if you're sitting here today and you feel like you're a complete mess, your internal life looks like an episode of hoarders, you are also in the right place. Because if you will commit to the process, God is going to bring healing in places that you never thought could be healed. He's also going to bring healing to places that you didn't even know needed to be healed. It's going to be like a breath of fresh air. The Holy Spirit is just going to breathe into your life, changing and bringing healing. Now back to the why. I want to read several verses from the book of Genesis. This is going to feel like a hard, bright turn quickly, but we'll try to, I'll try to tie it together. Genesis chapter 15, we're going to read 16 verses. We're going to start in verse 1. It says, After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. You can just sense the sadness in his heart. No children. He's going to give all of his stuff to his servant. And then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and he said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Remember a few weeks ago, we talked about the kingdom of God in, in the book of Romans. It says there's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And then thousands of years later, Paul quoted this exact verse uh, that, he was, that it was credited to him as righteousness. Through this, we learn that our righteousness or our right standing with God comes through belief in what Jesus did on the cross. 
The ancient prophet Isaiah tells us that all of our righteousnesses, plural, are like filthy rags. In other words, there's nothing that we can do to earn it. We will never be good enough on our own to obtain it. We can't do enough good deeds to receive it, and we can't do enough bad deeds to lose it. Why? Because when we come to Christ and we accept what He did on the cross, our sins are washed away and we are covered in a robe of righteousness. Isaiah 61 tells us, For he has clothed me with garments of righteousness. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. Garments of salvation. Sorry. We are in right standing with God because of what Jesus did for us. We are adopted into his kingdom. We become sons and daughters of the creator of the universe. Our spirits are born again into the family. And I love how Pastor Robert Morris says this, that we are sons and daughters because of our birthright, not because of our behavior. Come on, that is good news. I know that was a bit of a sidebar from the topic at hand, but I couldn't pass an opportunity to remind us that if you are a Christ follower, you are a son and a daughter of the Most High God. Back to Abram. Remember, he just said to God, I have no children and my servant is going to be my heir. And God takes Abram outside, asks him to count the stars. And then God says, your descendants will be more numerous than all of these stars. And Abram believes God. And I love what happens next. Verse seven, he says, he also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land and to take possession of it. Now, a couple of things here. The word Ur means flame or light of fire. Chaldeans means those persons considered the wisest in the land. Now, look, we know that depending on the context, fire can represent a lot of things in Scripture. It can represent purifying or refinement or even trials or the Holy Spirit. But practically speaking, where there is no fire, there is no life. And most of you know that I love survival shows. And if you ever watch them, what's the first thing that they do? They secure fire. Why? Because where there's no fire, there's no life. God is saying, I am the one who brought you out of the place that seemingly had the fire or the life that you needed. I am the one who brought you away from the Chaldeans, the wisest people in the land. Now, when I do what I'm about to do inside of you, no one will be able to get credit but me. It reminds me of the words of Paul in one of the letters that he wrote to what would now be considered modern day Greece. In 1 Corinthians, he said, But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. See, sometimes God has to bring us out of the place that seems right. Sometimes he has to bring us out of the place that looks right and it feels right. And there's nothing wrong with being surrounded by wise counsel. But in those moments where God's God saying to us, what I'm about to do in you is bigger than anything that you could have imagined. And I had to bring you out of that place so that I could do it and so that no one could get credit but me. That's why I love that everyday church is a place for everyday people. Because no matter where you are now or where you were then, no matter what your background is, no matter what your mistakes have been, no matter what your education level is, no matter how much you know or don't know about the Bible, God wants to empower you through the Holy Spirit to do extraordinary things for Him. He wants to do something through you that you didn't even know was possible. I mean, I know multiple people in the room who are... In transition, and you're asking why? This is why. Because God 
has something significant inside of you that he wants to do through you, but he couldn't do you do it where you were. He had to move you from there to a new location. He had to move you from the place that felt right and looked right into a new place so that he could do something brand new inside of you. Break down the walls of my religion and my tradition and do something new. I make room for you. Verse 7, so he says, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? Remember, God just told Abraham, or Abram, this is before his name is changed. God just told Abram that his descendants are going to be more numerous than the stars. Abram has no children, and we know from previous chapters that he's at least 75 years old. He's not 86 yet, because all of that... He turns 86 when he has Ishmael. So he's somewhere between 75 and 86. And God says, you're about to have more kids than you can count. And Abraham believes him. And then God says, I'm going to give you this land. And Abram questions God. He says, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? Look, I don't know about you, but I can really relate to this. Right? Because there are areas in my life that I'm sure God is going to move. And at the same time, there's still areas of life that I struggle to believe. It's like the dad in the New Testament when he comes to Jesus and he says, Lord, help my unbelief. I believe, but help my unbelief. And while I realize that this is really a disconnect for us as Christ followers, we shouldn't have this I believe, I don't believe. But the reality is many of us have not We believe God's grace is sufficient to forgive others, but we struggle to believe that God will forgive us for the exact same offense. We believe that God will provide for us physically. In other words, maybe you're not worried about shelter or food, but at the same time you're terrified that you're going to contract COVID and possibly die. Maybe you believe that God can save you, but you struggle to believe that He can heal you physically or emotionally. Or that you'll ever get over this, that, one, that one thing. I'm never, I'm never going to get over this. It's just part of who I am. In verse 9, he says, So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him. He cut them in two, and he arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. And then in verse, we'll drop a few verses to verse 17. It says, When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the two pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I give this land. This covenant that God made was sealed with the blood of animals. And this is why Jesus later is called the Lamb of God. Because the covenant that God made with us was sealed with the blood of his one and only son. And so when Abram said, how can this be true? God said, I'm I'm going to seal it. I'm going to sign this contract with blood. So in our own moments of duplicity, when we're asking God, how can this be true? And I believe, but help my unbelief. God says it's been sealed with the blood of my son. We can place our hope and our confidence and our faith and our trust in what Jesus did on the cross. And maybe you're asking, okay, so what does any of this have to do with making room? And why in the world did you show us a clip of hoarders? <laughs> As I start to wrap this up, I want to quickly go back to verse 10 and 11. 
Verse 10, it says, Abram brought all of these things, all these to him, and he cut them in two and he arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. Listen, in the midst of our making room, in the midst of our cleaning out all of the garbage and the clutter, in the midst of believing that God will do what he said he would do, why we're going deep below the surface to allow Jesus to bring healing, in the midst of our sacrifice, birds of prey will come. Because death always draws scavengers. Always. In this case, it was vultures or birds of prey. See, when we begin to clean out all of the mess in our lives, and that stinky, smelly, putrid aroma begins to get stirred up, vultures will come. When we begin to die to self, vultures will come. When we begin to offer our sacrifice, God, here is my selfishness. God, here is my pride. Here is my anger. Here is my complaining attitude. Vultures will come. What are they doing? They're trying to steal your sacrifice. Matthew 13, we, we read the story of the parable of the sower. Matthew 13, 4, Jesus said, As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. As soon as the seed is sown, Satan comes immediately to steal the seed. But what did Abram do in verse 11? The birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. Notice that God didn't drive them away. Abram did. And the same is true of our lives. We too must drive the birds of prey away. As we pursue God, as we begin to clean out our lives and make room for Him, as we begin to go beyond the surface level of Christianity, we will have to fight to maintain the ground that we are taking. There are always two battles for freedom. One is the battle to get free. Two is the battle to stay free. We don't have time to talk about the spiritual warfare that's involved in this or our authority in Christ and all of the other topics that would would complement this idea of driving the birds of prey away. But this entire message was to get us to this one verse, 11. The birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. You and I have a responsibility to drive away the vultures. The birds of prey came down, but Abram drove them away. The birds of prey came down, but Merrill drove them away. The birds of prey came down, but Mike drove them away. Away. Abram drove them away. Fill in the blank. Put your name in there. Drive them away. Last year we talked about ungodly beliefs. When those ungodly beliefs come to your mind, when the birds of prey show up to steal your newfound freedom, they will bring thoughts of discouragement to you. They're not just trying to steal your freedom and your healing. They're also depositing garbage into your mind and your heart and your emotions. Remember last year we said that Satan often speaks in the first person. 
Why am I saying this? Because some of us are making progress to move forward, which is our theme for the year. People were at the altar last week seeking God, and God was just just touching their lives in drastic ways. But if there's no change that's made from that moment until now, then nothing, nothing will stay the same. God can bring healing, or he can start the healing process. But if we're not committed to walking that healing out, then there'll really be no eternal life change. In those moments, the enemy will come immediately to steal the seed that was sown. He'll deposit thoughts into your mind. And remember, he speaks in first person. So you're going to get up from those moments and you're going to feel like, I'm I'm not really forgiven. I'm not really healed. I'm not good enough. I'm a failure. I'm a bad person. I'm a bad mom. I'm a bad husband. I'm a bad wife. I'm dirty. I'm perverted. I'm angry. I'm lonely. I'm unloved. I'm, I'm, I'm filling the blank. And Satan is just whispering into your ear. And when we embrace those ungodly beliefs, It's like allowing the birds of prey to steal our healing and our freedom. When God has called us to drive them away. Don't allow now or ever when God does something in your life. Don't allow what God has begun in your life to be stolen and it will come immediately. Some of you have experienced that before. If we had a show, if I did a show of hands, probably everybody's hand would go up. If you've ever been to an altar and you felt God, or maybe you were in worship and God was moving like He was earlier, and you sensed His presence, and you walk out, and immediately something happens that triggers you. Those emotions come alive. In my case, it's usually drive-through at KFC. You're preaching good and feel God, and then you leave, and the drive-through worker, you just want to, you know, you feel like you're about to go Instagram famous, pulling them out of the, out of the window. Praise God, I haven't been eating fast food, so I feel, feel I've been delivered. <laughs> I'm sorry you'll have less stories now, but I got enough for a lifetime worth to keep telling, so we won't be deprived. Uh, you know, maybe you received a deep touch from the Lord. Last week, this week, today, during worship, whatever. But and I said this a second ago, but the truth is, if you do nothing else from that moment, the birds of prey will steal your healing. They will. Make room for his presence. And then drive away the scavengers that are sent by Satan himself to steal your healing and your freedom. There's always a next step. It's the battle to get free and the battle to stay free. And I don't know what God wants to do totally in our lives, but I'm believing that he's going to bring healing in deep, deep ways, in the deep places of our hearts. On behalf of Pastor Randy and the entire staff at Everyday Church, we'd like to thank you for joining us today. For more information on the church, please visit us at everydaychurch.xyz.